We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz podcast presented by OTGBasketball.com. Make sure you follow OTG on Twitter at OTGBasketball. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Mr. Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? Dilo's back, Nick. He's back. He's back. He's back. I'm super duper excited. Yes, I am super pumped myself, Jack. And I don't know if you saw, I tweeted out a picture the other day. I used that uh, meme again, but I was missing some Dilo, especially against the Knicks. But we'll talk Knicks Nets, Spurs Nets. Um, a little Alan Crabb, Spencer Dinwiddie, and then we'll end it off with uh, D'Angelo Russell's return. <laughs> but before we get started, just a reminder, you can listen to Jack and I, Brooklyn Buzz, on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, and OTGBasketball.com. Also, a shout-out to the OTG Podcast Network. Jack and I both have a pod on there, also a couple other pods. Make sure you check that out. But let's get started. Sadly, we're going to talk bad first, and that's Knicks Nets. Another terrible performance against the Nets. Uh, another terrible performance against the Knicks. Zero three on the season, and they just sucked. What were your thoughts on that game, Nick? Um, we really couldn't. We just when we can't make a three point shot, we're just a completely different team, and our percentages aren't that great anyway. So there's just really no versatility to our offense. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie's gone a little bit cold of late, um, especially in terms of his shooting. Um, Alan Krabs had his off and on nights as he always has. You know, we can't rely on guys like Joe Harris to win us games when it comes down to the stretch. Um, we just didn't have the elite talent to sort of keep up with the, in a weird way, a more seasoned, more cohesive unit um, down the down the road at MSG. Um, you know, New York have Porzingis, got Courtney Lee, Ings Cantor. These guys know how to get the wins. These guys know how to get buckets. Um, Fortunately, we couldn't get it either. Yeah, exactly. And I think in that, you know, 119-104 loss, you know, like you said, they are a little a step ahead of us in terms of probably talent and having veterans. But the fact allowing the team to score 119, not good energy. The Knicks do match up well against the Nets. Like we said, you know, poor Zingas Cantor, matchup problems. Even Frank Tilakina does a good job on our long, lanky point guards. So I think that's an issue. But the fact they just didn't play with the energy or the focus, it seems like the Knicks actually respect 
you know, that it's somewhat, you know, the Nets and, you know, it's New York and we're trying to get this win for the city, but the Nets just don't seem to care. And the Nets, the Knicks have a little bit more energy and they have the better matchup. So they're going to win every time unless the Nets do something about it. Yeah. And it, it's, it's almost like we, we were, we were highly anticipating on the, on the previous pod, Nick, um, you know, we were hoping for the W, but yeah. the, the energy just wasn't there. Um, then we couldn't seep off the energy off to, to our boys, but you know, to make a guy like a Trey Burke almost play him into form, um, the wannabe Allen Iverson, as I tweeted out, <laughs> with those cornrows, he looked good. Uh, he looked good. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna knock it. When if you can do it, you, uh, do it. Because you know, our boy uh, Rondé's been rocking the dreads and even Jeremy Lin earlier in the year. But yeah, it was just one of those games that was a bit disappointing. It was almost emblematic of that first Knicks game. Um, we just had no energy uh, on either end of the floor, and you know, their talent was just too much for us. Porzingis. Uh, Burke, uh, all these guys just uh, had a field day against us and we just couldn't keep up with them, couldn't make our own baskets and yeah, our defense has been very up and down despite the fact that it's you know just under the top half of the league um, we can concede in, in very heavy bunches Yeah, and uh, the, you mentioned Porzingis being an issue, he's been a, an issue in all the games even the game he got injured in, they still won too but the fact is he shot 8 of 14, 2 of 3 from 3, 9 rebounds, you know, he had a really big impact on the game. At some point you know, I'm pro Kenny Atkinson, but I think at some point he has to do a better job of dealing with these superstars when we don't have a player that can match up. You know, Rondé's great. He does a good defensive job on a lot of players in the league. But against someone 7'3", when he's 6'7", he's going to get beat every night. Literally, there's probably not a guy in the Nets roster that can really match up with Porzingis. Maybe uh, Jared Allen five years down the road. But right now, you know, they need to adjust as a team, I think, to stop somebody like Porzingis. Yeah, and we, we've seen as well that Porzingis... Not necessarily struggles in the double team, but um, I put a tweet out earlier in the day that you know he he's notoriously uh, a non-passer. You know he's averaging like a barely an assist a game. You know you get those doubles on him. Um, you know whether it's from the perimeter or a guy down low. You know you put a Rondé and a Damari on him, then it's going to force you know maybe some turnovers uh, or at least force the switch because you know you'd rather have the guys outside of the star players beat you. You'd rather have Doug McDermott, Courtney Lee, Michael Beasley. You'd rather those guys beat you. If they can put up 20 points each, 15 points each, then I'll take that. But if it's Chris Epps, Paul Zingas, like, you know, getting easy buckets, like you mentioned, if those percentages are just way too good. And he's not a notoriously good rebounder either. Um, he has the size and everything, but he doesn't like getting down low and bruising down low. But because he has such, you know, even against us, he has such, you know, weights and physicality, um, it, it's just going to be a nightmare matchup for us for years to come. Yeah, honestly, it really is. And I, unless they make some type of adjustment where they throw a double team, like you said, I think, you know, I've watched a decent amount of Knicks games this year. I think the Chicago Bulls have done a good job against the Knicks. And a lot of that is because they've dealt with Porzingis the right way. So I think that's what we need to see an adjustment now. Because like you said, Porzingis isn't going anywhere most likely. We're going to have to deal with him for the next 10 years. So we need to come up with some type of strategy to beat him and make the other guys beat you. When you have a guy like Jared Jack on the floor, you know, I'm surprised more teams haven't done this, but he's not a great three-point shooter. He's not a great shooter unless he's hot. So kind of, you know, sink off of him and help on his guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just about having the 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 nous and the knowledge to do so. There was an article on Nets Daily earlier in the week about the fact that um, uh, what happens in the film room for, for the Nets and how it can be a bit uncomfortable, a bit confronting, uh, but necessary. Um, I think that those are going to be have to be continuing throughout the season because we're making the same mistakes, it seems. Um, you know, the same matchup earlier in the year, 
same mistakes against Porzingis. All these guys, um, you know, Jared, Jack, we, this is a guy that played for us. This is a guy we should know inside and out. Yes, we're a completely new team, but, you know, he's been at Barclays. He knows what it's like. He likes those little, you know, those little teardrops, those little dinkers and dumpers from about 10 to uh, 15 feet, even five feet, you know. Sag off him, like you mentioned there. Then, you know, forced to double team. It's just, it's just a little bit frustrating. But at the same time, hopefully um, we can learn from it. And at least we brought in some form into, into the Spurs game. Unfortunately, it was a loss, though. Yeah, one touch, uh, one more point before we get to the Spurs. You mentioned the lack of focus and the same mistakes. I hate to keep hitting on the guy, but Alan Crabb in that game, there was probably three times where he got beat on either a backdoor cut or just a normal cut by uh, Mc, uh, Mc Buckets. And you know, yeah. like you, you know, Mc Buckets is a pretty good player, but he's nothing crazy. Alan Crabb, you want to be a starter in the NBA. Mc Buckets is probably never going to be a starter. You can't even defend him. Courtney Lee was losing him on screens like it was nothing. We'll talk more Alan Crabb in a bit, but let's go to the Spurs game. You know, this game, it it was tough because the Nets were in it and then they weren't in it and then all of a sudden they made a run at the end and then to lose by five points again at home sucks. But, you know, at least they made a they made a comeback. Yeah, and it seems like the, like we mentioned, I think I literally used this analogy before, but I'll use it again. The Nets continue to dig themselves holes and you can't do that against a team like a, whether it's a Toronto Raptors or a Washington Wizards or a Boston Celtics or a San Antonio Spurs. San Antonio Spurs are one of the class organizations in the NBA today. Guys like LaMarcus Aldridge, Patty Mills, Pau Gasol, they're seasoned veterans. They know how to get the wins. They know how to get the Ws. They know how to get the buckets. Patty Mills, um, shout out to the, to the big Aussie. Uh, shout out to the Aboriginal. He's absolutely having a great season. Um, in the absence of a guy like a Tony Parker, he stepped up. DeJounte Murray has had his moments, but you know the Patty just knows how to get a bucket. He knows how to hit the three. Um, and him and Lamarcus had a nice little chemistry, uh, unfortunately, um, f- as net fans. And Lamarcus <laughs> again, just those big guys, um, they dominate against us. And Lamarcus is just um, playing all-star level basketball this year. If he's not a starter, uh, I'd be very surprised. Yeah, he might get announced. His starters are going to be announced tonight. But two notes I had on the Spurs because I knew we weren't going to talk about it too much. Patty Mills and Lamarcus Aldridge. So you hit it right yeah. on the head. I thought though that you know Patty Mills is a great player, but I think the Nets did a bad job. Not like you kind of hinted at it the previous portion. You know, they don't know the scouting report. You know, Mills isn't going to kill you inside. He's not going to kill you. He's going to kill you at the three-point line. And losing him, especially when there's other guys on the floor that can't shoot. That's always been my problem with the Nets sometimes. They help off of guys that can shoot and the guys that can't shoot, they don't help off of. So it's just like, you know, you need to do your homework. Yeah, it seems like uh, the, the scouting report, like you mentioned, Nick, and I think it, whether it's a chemistry issue, whether it's a communication issue, you know, I think obviously... communication is a big thing, Jack. You hit it right on the head. That's an issue. Yeah, I think because you know what the moments when Damari Cowell's out there, we look, we generally look quite solid. You know, he's our leader, so to speak. Alan Crabb um, has been playing okay defensively, but it's almost individual defense. It's not in the way of you know helping the t- the team schemes, yep. the defensive schemes. Whereas we sort of you know Spencer Dinwiddie has become a great leader for us. But we're still very young. We're still one of the youngest squads in the NBA. Um, so those those baby steps are going to happen. But, you know, we can't... The, the basic things of, like, forcing a guy like Patty to take a, a long two or forcing him inside, you know, and getting close up to him on the perimeter. Basic sort of things that most guys will know. Um, Patty Mills has been in the NBA for almost 10 years, if not longer. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge, you know where he likes his spots. He's developed a little bit of range. You know, he's developed a nice little one-two game with Pau Gasol. Um, it's, it seems like we're getting beaten 
by things we know that are going to happen. It's just that we can't execute. So it's probably down to those two things, probably execution and communication. Yeah, and I think uh, the fact that is also, you know, you and I watching the season, we're seeing things, you know, happen that are happening commonly. Like, you know, Aldridge loves the ball in this spot. Mills likes to shoot threes here. We're so other teams are seeing that for the Nets and adjusting to the Nets and disrupting their offense, but the Nets aren't adjusting and disrupting the other team's offense. And I think that's an issue right now. It is. And and I think that's in part due to a lack of maturity. Um, yep. I, I think that it's, it's an element of coaching. Uh, I, I think, you know, Coach Kenny has done a fantastic job for us, but if he can't get the guys executing what he wants, then there has to be an element that that is put on him. Um, it's not obviously not all on him. I think the coaches take far too much of the blame. But there is an element that goes to it. But at the end of the day, it is the players who have to go out there and execute what they're supposed to be doing. You know, getting back into the film room, getting back into practice, knowing who your opponent is, knowing what they like to do. We know the Spurs aren't a notorious three-point shooting team. You know, they like to slow things down. They're almost an antithesis to what the Nets are. They like to sort of, you know, the pace is slowed down. So the Nets want to get out in transition. But the Pacers are just experts at getting the game on their own terms. So it, we had our own runs. We got down at stages. But at the end of the day, we can't get down, keep getting down, keep getting down against these great teams because we're not going to win many games doing that. Exactly. And I think what makes it frustrating is all these small mistakes you see through the game, like you said, you know, the things that are constantly happening, to see them happen all the time and against the good teams, like, you know, we played a better second and third quarter, we win this game. You know, at least, or we have a game-winning shot attempt. We're so just losing these close games just hurt, especially when you have all the stupid mistakes all over the place. Yeah, the the mistakes pile up, Nick, and they and they add up um, like no tomorrow. You know, the the Nets are are a notoriously high turnover team, and when it comes against season outfits like a, a Greg Popovich squad in San Antonio, they're going to make you pay. Um, they they prey on those efforts. You know, they don't get out in transition very often but they execute well, they pass well, they play good team basketball and they're getting a lot out of a lot of their guys. And uh, even without Kawhi, they're one of the best teams in the NBA, whether it's at home or away. But it was good to see after the game, um, Coach Pop give us give us some credit, give the, give the coaching staff some credit. Um, he's an amazing, amazing icon. And to just hear him give the, the Nets some credit about their development, uh, it was a nice little thing that he didn't really have to do, but it was good of him. Yeah, I really appreciate it, obviously. And anything from pop positive about the Nets is amazing. Yeah. And uh, obviously, Sean Marks coming over from there and Kenny having kind of some ties to the Spurs organization in a way. So I think all of that, it's nice to hear. But like you said, it's also one thing, too, is to miss shots. I think a lot in the last two games, the Knicks and probably the Spurs game, they missed a ton of open threes. And I mean, yeah. like, we're not an amazing three point team, but there's some of these shots we just have to hit, especially when guys are getting paid big bucks in their main the three ball yeah i mean it's it's easy for us to say that you know they're paid tens of millions of dollars to make shots but you know if that's your job then you should do it you know i'm a teacher i go into teach if my kids can't learn their two times tables i wouldn't have a job if they can't make your three-point shot then technically you know they should be benched or whatever <laughs> you want whatever you want to say you know the, there's comparisons you can make um but yeah i, I think that really hurts us Nick, because we start making those shots on the outside that it, it creates a lot of space, like you mentioned uh, on so many occasions. You know, it gets it, it feeds our inside game as well. Um, you know, it allows us to drive into the basket, draw some fouls because when we're beginning, we're quite good at that. Um, our free throw attempts is, I think it's around the top ten. Um, last time I checked, but that might have changed. 
and guys like Rondé Hollis Jefferson, you know, his three-point shooting is amazing, but we know his spots. We know his herky jerkiness. And if he's, he's surrounded by shooters that are making them, whether it's Crabb, Harris, Carroll, whoever it is, uh, Dinwiddie, um, then it makes the game so much easier for each other. They feed off it. But it seems like yeah. they're almost feeding off each other in the negative way in these past few games. But, you know, there's just been those moments. Yeah, and I think that's a great point is the fact they're not hitting the shots and it's really hurting the spacing because now when guys are trying to drive, like, for example, like, honestly, it feels like nobody's respecting Quincy AC's three-point shot. He's been shooting a solid clip this season, but it just seems like they don't really care if he shoots. So that big, instead of giving them so much extra spacing, is just kind of sinking in a little bit more. Same thing with some of the other guys. Until they start consistently hitting, the only guy who's probably been consistently hitting the three ball all season is Joe Harris. Yeah. Other than that, like everybody's been hot and cold. Damari's been pretty good, but he's had some cold stretches. And Dinwiddie, we're going to talk about right now, is dealing with something. Personally, I think he's really fatigued. He's yeah. playing 33 minutes a game. Most he's played uh, all season long per month. In January, he's playing 33 a game. He hasn't topped uh, 30 minutes a game all season long. So that's an issue. And his shooting percentages in January, 36% from the field, 25% from three. Yeah, you look at some of his past games, Nick. So two from 14 from the field against uh, the Knicks and then three of 13 from the field against Spurs. So, you know, but on, you look at it on the other hand, he also had, you know, 13 assists um, in uh, against the, the Spurs and he's still impacting the game in ways. But the the huge increase we saw in, in his capabilities was in his shot and his ability to just, you know, his three-point shot. You know, his game becomes completely different when he's not nailing that. Um, I, I don't think, uh, you know, everyone has their moments. We had we talked about Levert early in the season, how he was having his cold stretch. But yeah, these increased minutes are really hurting him. Against the Spurs last night, 35 minutes. Um, he did only have 28 minutes against the Knicks, but he's also played over 41 minutes in, in OT games as well. You know, he's easily playing our, our, our most minutes and, and that certainly hurts him. But I think the return of D'Lo will hopefully allow him to play a little bit more off-ball and it will give him some more open looks because at the end of the shot clock, when it comes down to like five seconds, the ball's in his hands. I think... Way too much. The percentages, way too much, way too much. And I think that, that is affecting his percentages a little bit. We see the clock and it's like four. So it's like, all right, let's get the ball to Spencer Dillon. He'll jack something up from 30 feet. And it's a bad shot. It's like heavily contested. So I think that affects it a little bit. Um, we can take, you know, you take what you will um, with the percentages like a grain of salt. But... You know, he has been cold, um, but I'm sure he'll he'll get a little bit warmer um, when D'Lo starts to integrate himself a little bit and it allows him to sort of play against some different units as well. He doesn't necessarily have to take on, you know, the number one guys for, you know, 20 minutes a game. He can have his spurts against the lesser units because we saw what's happened with Karis LeVert, how he's been able to do that and how it's, it's increased his game. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie had such a hot start. Um, it was almost surprising in ways. So now that we're seeing this dip in form, it's almost like, well, what's he doing? But at least he's still impacting the game in terms of his passing. So there's positives and negatives. Yeah, I think you guys still give him a lot of credit because I don't think it's his fault that he's not shooting well. I literally think that he's fatigued. In a, um, he's only 100 minutes behind from how many minutes he played all of last season. So that's <laughs> a, a pretty start. big jump. You know yeah. what I mean? So that's going to impact you. And you said the three ball is a big difference. And a lot of people, you know, depending on your three-point shot, in my eyes, off the top of my head, I believe Dinwiddie uses a good amount of elevation on his three because he has a little bit of a fade to it. Yeah. So obviously not having the right elevation on your jump shot is going to have an impact. And then the fact not having D'Angelo, moving in from being a backup point guard to being a 
literally, I guess I would call him a star point guard in a sense because he's the guy who's doing everything offensively for the Nets at times. A lot of eyes on you all the time. Having D'Angelo back, not only will give him more rest, you know, less responsibility, but it's just going to give him an easier defense, like you said. Lesser competition, and even when he's out there, there's a good chance now he'll either be out there with D'Lo or Levert. Yeah, and we talked about, and you talked about those minutes thing, which is a great stat. He's also only missed one game. Yeah. He's played 43 of a possible 44 games. You know, Laverne had his time where he's missed off. Um, we all know about D'Lo. Rondé's missed a few games. Damari Carroll's missed a few games. So there's been a lot of emphasis on on Spencer, and he's played a lot um, in terms of his total minutes and, and in terms of his games, you know, back-to-backs. It's, it's tiresome. Um, and, and for a guy who's almost finding his way still in terms of this role, um, yep. we, we, can, we can only expect so much. So... Uh, if it's only a, I think this is only going to be a little bit of a blip on the radar. I don't expect it to last for a very long time. There's still people talking about whether they trade him, and I've been fretting about it because uh, doing an article for OTG Basketball, whether I put him, is it Joe Harris, is it Damari Carroll? Um, it's almost like trying to sell one of my children, um, <laughs> figuring it out. But <laughs> Spencer, I, I think he's going to get back sooner rather than later, and hopefully that coincides with with D'Lo and and we see a nice new partnership on the court. Yeah, honestly, when D'Lo starts to get back into rhythm and kind of find his groove and pick up the minutes, I would not be surprised if the Nets decided to give Dinwiddie a night off. He could use a yeah. night of rest. He's also, one thing we didn't mention too, he's not the biggest dude, and he does get banged around a lot in the paint. He doesn't always get the foul call, but he still goes in there. And it's just a lot, he just does a lot on the Nets team, not only defend, offensively, you know, setting up the offense, getting the ball late in the shot clock, trying to make something out of nothing, but defensively. Chasing around these point guards on a daily basis is not an easy job. He never gets the calls, Nick. Like, uh, let's let's be real. He, yeah, he, he never really gets the calls. Like, we're talking about a guy who who uses who has who's probably our best all round player who gets inside, who's got a great shot, and I think he's it's just because he's not getting the respect. Um, you know, he's he's voiced his opinions. And maybe, you know, he shot five times from the line, four times from the line in the past two games. That's far more than, you know, he's seen a lot over this season. So he's generally averaging like three, three and a half. So maybe he's starting to get the kudos he finally deserves. Maybe they're finally seeing that they're adding him on the NBA Twitter page. Um, But I think if he continues to show his aggression, uh, continues to play his own game, maintain his composure, it comes. You know, uh, basketball is a game of confidence. It's a game of uh, plays and it's a game of runs. You know, there's going to be up and down moments. It's about staying level-headed and, you know, just keeping your head screwed on. And he's got, he's a very composed yeah. guy. Uh, he's probably our most composed uh, player in terms of his mindset uh, on our roster. You know, he's a guy that I think he, he just runs things for us. And we've sort of, you know, taken on his personality a little bit. And I think that comes a little bit from our coach, Kenny, and even the, the front office with Sean Marks as well. So I think Spencer's going to be okay. But I think he's going to be spending a little bit of time in the film room, just seeing where it's going wrong. Is it the, the types of shots he's taking? Is it when the shots are being taken? Is it the the position? Um, you know, there's, there's there's probably plenty of things that he knows and the coaching staff knows that we don't. But um, I've got all the confidence in the world that it'll be back. Yeah, I agree. And I think in less minutes, it'll help him. It'll help him get his focus back. Because sometimes I think it's just a lot of pressure in general. So getting him back 100% and not fatigued will definitely help the Nets. But like you said, not getting the calls. One thing I'd like to see Dinwiddie do is just stop complaining a little bit. You know, whatever. They're not going to give you the calls. Just start going to the paint mad hard. Like, you just you just start attacking the rim. 
so that either they're not going to give you the call or they're going to have to call an offensive foul on you. Then it's just going to draw more attention to the play. And then, you know, it's going to create things out of that. I think what I'll say about him is he complains a little bit too much once in a while on plays that are 50-50. You're not going to get all the calls, especially when you're, you know, not a well-known NBA player. So after a year, kind of get in there and then maybe start chirping a little bit. I think when you only say things once in a while, it helps your case a lot more. Yeah, um, and I think it's 538. They did an article last year on the players who complain the most to, to the refs. And it's notoriously the best players. It's, yeah, LeBron James, it's Draymond Green, it's James Harden, um, it's Blake Russell Griffin. Westbrook, Blake Griffin. It's those guys, those guys that like to chirp. Um, I think Spencer is still earning his keep as terms of, of putting himself in that elite status um, and to be able to still sort of maintain his, his level-headedness. He's still, he's always going to have that. That's one of his, his outstanding traits. But at the same time, you know, he's also running it. Um, and, and he's running the floor for us. He's, you know, our number one floor general. Um, and you mentioned his shooting, Nick. Uh, I think he, yeah, if he can get those easy buckets at the line, you know, draw the contact, because he's, he's really good at that. And, you know, he's probably one of our best, you know, finishes around the rim. And I think, you know, as well, that adds to the spacing. Um, because easy buckets always help. Um, and I think Alan Crabb can learn a thing or two from that as well. <laughs> well, that is actually the perfect segue because that's what we're talking about right now. Alan Crabb. We talked about him on the midseason, uh, midseason grade one. You know, he's been a hot and cold. He got a C plus. But honestly, I just feel like the last few games, he's really just been annoying the shit out of me. I messaged you that the other day. You know, Crabb's, and I think he's annoying me so much because I expected so much more. I expected more of an improvement. Currently shooting 38% from the field, 36% from three. He's only seen his points per game go up slightly. Same things with his assist. The only thing he's really improved a lot in is rebounding, which is just kind of the team not having rebounders. So what are your thoughts on the play of Alan Crabb? I saw this stat the other day, Nick, where Alan Crabb scores 20 points or more. The Nets are one in five. So Alan Crabb isn't having an impact on the team's success. It almost like when the team is down, Alan Crabb is up. And when the team is up, Alan Crabb's average or worse. So, it, and that's not what we want from a guy we're paying $19 million to. Uh, or if you discount Nicholson's salary, 12 and a half, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I think, you know, we we talked about his defensive capabilities increasing. Yeah, that's, that's all well and good. But I'd rather have an incredibly capable offensive perimeter threat who's a trash, like a, a guy like a, a Kyle Korver. A Kyle Korver a, and then a guy compared to, say, you know, a 3 and D who can sort of make a 3 every now and then. And it's almost like Alan Krabs neither. Um, you know, he, he's not, he's not a, a great shooter. He's not a great defender. He's average at both right now. Um, and he's not impacting the team in a positive manner when we need him to. The rebounding you mentioned there, Nick, that's a, that's a team scheme. You know, the, all our wings are sort of, will always be sort of our top rebounders. Like Rondé's been generally one of our top rebounders. Damari, Alan Krab, um gets his boards every now and then. But I'd rather see him light it up, get six threes. I want him to just jack it up. I want him to like literally just be aggressive. I think that's one thing he can be uh, much more of. He's been quite tentative, quite timid. Um, and I think most players, whenever you talk to them about what's the key to their success, you know, listening to a pod the other day with Ish Smith um, on Howard Beck's podcast, the advice he got from Russell Westbrook, just be aggressive. Be aggressive. And that's what you hear so many players say about, you know, getting better in their game and getting better in their mentality. It seems that Alan Crabb doesn't have the aggressiveness 
that's required. And aggressiveness doesn't mean throwing haymakers like Aaron Aflalo. <laughs> it just means, you know, getting to the line a little bit more, showing a little bit of grunt, showing a little bit of grit. Um, we want him to sort of, we, we want him to do the best because we see the potential. Um, and the potential hopefully will come to fruition, you know, by the end of the season and if not the start of next season. But it's just very frustrating. Yeah, it definitely is. It's frustrating. Like you said, it's just like, you know, be good consistently at one thing. Like sometimes he's a great three-point shooter. Sometimes he does a decent job driving to the rim. Sometimes he plays good defense. Other times he can't hit a three. Other times he looks indecisive in that mid-range games and just takes bad shots. Sometimes he just loses focus completely on defense and lets the cutter get easy buckets, or he just kind of forgets to defend somebody. Like you said, he's getting paid way too much not to be great at something, and I think the Nets were hoping he would really improve in an area. And you hit it on the head, playing aggressive and playing free. You know, I think that's an issue for him. Because sometimes he'll get the ball at the three-point line, and he won't initially shoot it. He'll wait a second, and then he'll end up taking a shot that's not as good as the first attempt he had. So it's like, yeah. just be, make a decisive decision. Decisive, get the ball, yeah. Cut to, yeah, get to the ball, cut to the rim. You know, if, if you got to open three, shoot to open three. And also, I think another thing he does is, like, he might be having an off night. And instead of, like, you know, trying to get an open shot or, you know, something close to the rim, he'll shoot, like, a contested three over somebody who's, like, a solid defender. Like, there's a good chance you're not going to hit that as your first shot of the game. Yeah, I think his assists as well, Nick. Um, you know, his numbers, I'm looking at him right now, his game log. I, I don't think he's had more than three assists this season. In fact, he hasn't. And that's, you know, for a shooting guard, I mean, yes, like, he's not Kobe by any stretch. But at the same time, you know, you're either going to be a flat-out scorer or you want to see some, you know, passing that, that will lead everything. You want to see, yeah, some more all-round game. But I think Alan Crabbe's almost he, – he either forces it too much or he doesn't force it enough. There's no yeah. like middle ground. Yeah, he, there's like a spectrum. Like um, I'm not going to invent something because I already have something stupid <laughs> for my own podcast that I don't – so I, I think he needs to sort of find that balance. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. We're saying for him to be aggressive and to, and to be more decisive, but also to have that balance. You know, there's so many things that, you know, require you to be a competent basketball player. It's not an easy thing by any stretch. And yes, the, exactly. the contract is probably weighing on him a little bit. And there's that pressure, obviously, from Nets fans. You know, the Nets popularity has grown somewhat. And with that comes more speculation. Um, the media starting to give us a little bit of hype now. We're getting some more attention from, you know, guys like Zach Lowe, Jeff Van Gundy, the ringer. So with that becomes more exposure to the wider, the, the casual fan. And they'll look at a guy like an Alan Crabbe like, oh, yeah, he was he was really good at Portland. I wonder what he's doing with the Nets now. He's like, oh, we're basically doing the same thing. Um, so I think, you know, Alan Crabbe needs to find that, that, that happy medium, so to speak, you know, where you sort of got that sort of zen mode where it's just like you know what you do and you expect it every night. Almost similar to like a Rondé Hollis Jefferson. You know, he could learn a thing or two from Rondé. Rondé's got what he does really, really well right now this season. He still has, you know, inabilities in his game. But those are things that can be addressed. You know, Alan Crabb is by no means, you know, over the hill. He's like 25, I think, barely 26 years old, um, if that. So he's still got a long time in this league. And that contract still has a long time to go. And I think he's going to be a big part of this Nets future, and especially a playoff push. But we just need him to be at his best. Yeah, I think one thing you said he could learn a lot from Rondé. Even when Rondé's not hitting his shots and, you know, sometimes playing poorly, turning over the ball, you never really question his energy. And I think no. I can question Alan Crabb's energy and aggression and his focus at times. I think getting paid this money, I just want you to come locked in. 
and play great defense and play with good energy, make the right play, be decisive. Obviously, it's a lot easier said than done, but I don't think it's too much to expect out of him because they're not asking him to drop 20 points a game. They're asking him to drop more like 16 and just do it efficiently. But right now, he's doing everything but that, and shooting under 40% of the field is just not acceptable, especially when you're getting paid that money. Yeah, I, I, you want him to be uh, a JJ Redick for what the Philadelphia 76ers are. You know, you've got the your two yeah. best players. You know, we've got D'Lo, I guess, Karis LeVert, Rondé, or Jared Allen, whoever you want him to be. And then Alan Crabb is just that perfect third guy. Um, a, a guy who's on, you know, the contract of like a, an Otto Porter, you know, a little bit less. You know, a guy we could have had. Or a KCP sort of contract. But he's not doing a, enough to sort of warrant his status right now in today's NBA. Um, I, I think his shot will come. You know, he's got the mechanics there. It's it, If I'm going to anyone, it's it's him and Joe Harris right now. Um, they're still, for me, the best shooters on our squad. And yes, he might take the wrong shots, but he can make the wrong shots, the, more, the right shots with some of his, his shot making. Um, he's still a very competent player, but I think he's just having his woes similar to the team. Um, I hope he can find his way. And you mentioned in earlier pods, Nick, the fact that he missed time in training camp. I think that's certainly had an effect on him. Maybe not due to conditioning because he's not playing ridiculous minutes, ridiculous loads. But, you know, it certainly had an effect on in terms of maybe his his comfort level, um, his, his confidence. Um, but I think, you know, with confidence and with making maybe these 20-point 20, these 20 games, these 25-point games, will give him the confidence to sort of go into, okay, well, I can do this against this team. Maybe I can do it against the next team. Against a, a team like the Spurs, that's going to give you the, all the confidence in the world. And with D'Lo coming back, hopefully that opens up some space for him, similar to a Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, you have those three guys out there on the perimeter. There's going to be an open shot for one of them, and all three of them are really good shooters. You know, if anything, right now, D'Angelo Russell's probably the worst three-point shooter out of those three. Maybe not percentage-wise, but I, I would probably give it to Allen then Spencer and then Delo for a three-point shot. So I think we're we're, we're seeing some really positive signs with the return of Delo. Hopefully uh, it comes to fruition. Yeah, and I think uh, another thing would be it's likely that Crab goes to the bench. And this time off the bench, he's looked a little bit more confident against you know the bench competition. Maybe that's something he'll kind of do better in, or maybe having the fact he'll have two playmakers if it's a Delo dealing with his starting lineup to kind of set him up. It's interesting to see what the Nets do with that, but. Um, Quick question. It's a little bit negative, but, you know, I got to ask it. Is trading for Alan Crabb Sean Mark's worst move so far? Uh, probably, yeah. I, I think it's it's one that they – you wouldn't say you'd want a mulligan on, but it's one that's certainly worth pondering over and reflecting over. You know, we've, we've uh, sung the praises of Sean Marks um, to, to no end, and, and he deserves a lot of them. Um, it's just that uh, I think Ben Falk um, of Cleaning the Glass wrote a really good piece on – just uh, and he was obviously a former uh, front office guy with Portland. Being able to reflect on your uh, your mistakes and even your successes, and not getting too hung up in the moment. I think Sean Marks would probably go, yeah, I guess this was a guy that we wanted um, at the same time. So I think they sort of saw it in a way to just sort of just get their guy. If there had been a pick attached, then we'd probably be speaking about this differently whether it's a late first round or even an early second rounder, we might be saying, well, look, at least we got that first and second rounder. We've got another asset to it. But the fact that we couldn't really get any assets as, as well, I think it's because that the Nets and Sean Marks were so all in on Alan Crabb. 
I think if Alan Crabb is having a better season as well. Um, so there's plenty of what-ifs. We love that what-if game, Nick. But <laughs> yes. I think, yeah, um, Sean Marks, it's probably his worst move. But uh, I hope there's there's plenty of ones that are good as well. Yeah, and there's plenty of time for this move to turn into a good one. You know, yeah. you, you hinted at the training camp thing, and I think that could be an issue and maybe another year in the system and a better fit. I think also it's just like Crabb, it's just he has to kind of find himself in the Nets, you know, organization in the system, the role they want him in. And I think he doesn't really know, and the Nets don't really know how good he can be. And I think he's just confused, and the pressure's all on him. So hopefully it turns into a great move. But like you said, even if we got an early second-round pick with it, more bearable, just the number. The number hurts because, you know, he's on contract for this year, he's on contract for next year, and then I believe the year after that he has a player option. He's most likely going to take the option and stay on the contract, which is around $19, 20000000 and the Nets at that time probably could use the money in cap space to, you know, go after a big name if they wanted to at that time. So that's the only thing that really hurts. Right now, it doesn't really matter because who are they going to give the cap to anyways? But in yeah. a few years, it could come back to bite them. And you'd hope by that stage, Nick, we Alan Crabb would probably de- have developed into that really solid third role. You know, by that yeah. stage, you know, Jared Allen would be hopefully like a Clint Capella type. You know, he'd have the same sort of level of experience. D'Lo would hopefully be our dude. You know, Karis Levert might be the number two. Spencer Dinwiddie might still be kicking around. So I think by that time, Alan Crabb should have, should and hopefully will have found his role. Um, and maybe the money won't seem as bad. And and we all know how much the salary cap can fluctuate a little bit. So it might turn into a good move. Yeah, actually, and that's another great point. Is you know, at the the salary cap could still take another jump. I don't think it's going to take another drastic jump like we saw the year that Alan Crabb signed a contract. But with the NBA growing so much internationally, it is a real possibility. But let's get to the fun segment. I know that you've been waiting for this all day. You've been We've been waiting for this for months. D'Angelo Russell is probable for Friday's game against the Miami Heat. What are your thoughts, Jack? Nick, it's, 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 I, I was chatting to you before the pod, and I said that you know, scrolling my feed on Instagram, and I saw this just fan page for D'Angelo Russell. It's like, D'Angelo's back tomorrow. And I'm like, Okay, I'll take that with a grain of salt because, you know, there's no sources. There's no Nets Daily, Anthony Puccio, Woj. I'm just like, okay, this is an Instagram page that's dedicated to him. They probably have no idea. <laughs> so then, you know, two hours later, um, literally as you get home, literally as I'm scrolling on Twitter, you know, as as you do, there's all our Nets beat writers tweeting about it, probable and caps lock. And I'm just like, okay, well, I guess that I should start following that Instagram <laughs> page because they're on the money. Um, it, it's, it's awesome. We've been waiting for this. It's been all over two months now, um, and uh, he's been building, been building. He's three on three practice, he's five on five practice, and now he's ready. And I think coming against the Miami Heat, uh, it, it's an important game for us. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how many minutes he plays. How many do you think he'll play? Will it be 20? Will it be 30? Will it be 15? Does he start? What's his role? Honestly, I'm going to guess 24 minutes. I think they're going to ease him in. It's a knee injury. I think he's pretty well conditioned, though. Like, they mentioned it on the Nets broadcast. I was only half listening at the time. I was probably recording a clip or something. And they mentioned how he was saying how he felt like he was in good shape because he was working out the other aspects of his body, just not his legs. So I think the Nets obviously taking nine weeks. If this was a, a player and the Nets were really in a big season and they wanted to get, like, a first seed or something, I think D'Lo probably would have came back a week ago and ease him in so much. I think they're really going to ease him in, i say, probably 24 minutes for a week or two. Then he'll get back to his normal stuff, and then we'll start to see him a lot more in February. But I think they'll be definitely really slow with him. I think, in my opinion, when you bring a guy back from injury like that, 
it takes a lot of pressure off of him when you bring him off the bench. So I wouldn't start him and I bring him off the bench so he can kind of get really easy into the role and also face some lesser competition. Yeah, it certainly gives you that confidence, you know, coming up against a Gordon Dragic and a, and a really hot Miami team who are now top four um, and are certainly absolutely flying yeah. out in the East. So, you know, there's certainly a different Miami team to the one that we uh, had a heavy win over, you know, just a few weeks ago. You know, they've, they've been absolutely balling and we're going to have to be on our game. And yeah, I do like um, him coming off the bench, you know. It'd be really fun to see him and your boy Carousel Levert play some minutes together and even just be able to stagger some minutes for Spencer as well, give him some extra breathing time. Now having three competent ball handlers, uh, it's going to be exciting. And even 24 minutes, you know, that takes off five minutes with Spencer Dibbony, takes off five minutes with Carousel Levert. The energy, you know, that's one thing that we can't not expect. Those guys always do have great energy, but, you know, they can now go full tilt and, and hopefully get some really good open looks. Yeah, and I think this is going to be, I think, Nick Stabber's game. I think he loses all of his minutes, so the rotation's definitely a little bit tighter now. And D'Angelo coming back, and like you said, I think it's going to help Dinwiddie so much with his fatigue. I also think Lavert at times, we know Lavert's not necessarily a true point guard. He said on uh, the, the Ryan Ruka podcast that he's always played point guard, he's liked it. But I think him in like that combo guard role, all these guys can kind of play that combo guard role, and it takes a lot of pressure off all of them when they're on the floor together happens and yeah i think go ahead jack no sorry man I, I i i think you made a good point about the combo guard thing nick i think there's you know the true point the days of the true point guard the, the chris paul uh, are, are basically over you need to have yeah. so much versatility to your game whether it's you know like a damien lillard i think john wall is probably the closest thing to it that we've got right now um but you know i'd much rather have guys who can do so many different things you know whether it's on the defensive and the offensive end make shots be able to drive have some extra length all those guys, you know, you mentioned D'Lo, Spencer, and Karras, they're all like 6'4", 6'5", to 6'7". You know, that, that's great length to have. And, you know, it, it allows them to see the floor in a really uh, positive manner as well. They're by no means a Ben Simmons or a Giannis or a LeBron, but it certainly gives them that little bit of an edge coming up against guys like Isaiah Thomas, Kemba Walker, Damian Lillard. Um, and we've seen that before already with um, D'Lo's huge performance against Portland. I think again, Goran Dragic is a little bit smaller as well. He's by no means short, or, or he's he's an absolute um, vet and, and absolutely killing it this year. And low key is one of the the best point guards and probably most underrated point guards in the league. But I think you know to be able to throw so many different bodies at him is going to be a, a positive thing, and hopefully um, that might tire him out a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And I think you, I, I'm just like envisioning in my head, you know, a starting lineup in the future with a D'Angelo Russell and a Karis LeVert. Both those guys get in the gym and they get their three-point percentage up to that high 30s, close to 40. Really difficult defense because they both can break you down off the dribble. They can pass the ball. So that could be a really positive for the Nets if they can develop these guys into lockdown three-point shooters. Kind of like, you know, we mentioned Dinwiddie kind of slacking right now in his three-point shot. But early in the season, he was shooting a high percentage. He was shooting a lot tougher shots that we haven't seen before. If they can kind of get Levert and D'Angelo on that same uh, routine, and get their uh, three-point up to that level, I think the Nets are going to be set for the backcourt. I think it just helps, Nick, just having depth. The, the depth of talent, you know, the most teams uh, are rarely healthy uh, consistently throughout the season, but it seems the Nets are a team that always uh, are hampered by injuries and always our top guys. It's never the guys, you know, number 12, 13 on the roster. It's always, you know, your, your best guy, your second best guy, your, your point guard, you know, your, your small forward, your center. Um, but for us to actually have a, a depth of talent, you know, we've got four quality point guards on the roster, um, counting if you want to count all of them. Now that, you know, Karis LeVert has proven himself, you know, in, in this time that um, D'Angelo has been out, 
and it's it's been a godsend and hopefully it just adds so much versatility to our game it adds you know offense defense you know there are so many different lineups uh, and, and chemistry you know it, it, there's just the, the possibilities are endless yeah and it gives kenny a lot of tools and talking about the miami heat is that th- that's something eric spolster does well you know he has a lot of yeah. different tools on his roster he does a great job mixing and matching and that's just another toy for you know kenny to play with in the future when he has all these guards so uh, let's get your stat line for D'Lo on Friday night before we get out of here. Oh, this is gonna this is gonna be a tricky one, Nick. I reckon he gets uh, a, a 15, 15, five, five and five. Wow. Um, I, I reckon. I, I think you know it, it. Maybe the rebounds you can drop that down to a three. But you know, D'Lo likes to have the ball in his hands a lot. You know, his usage rate was quite big quite quite high when he was um playing with the team and even with his minutes on the floor he's want he's gonna want to have the ball in his hand just to get that feel back so even if he's on, only on the floor for 24 minutes if he's playing alongside a Karras or a spencer expect the ball to be in his hands for for, for large chunks of the time um, yeah. if he's gets anywhere over 20 minutes i'm not putting the pass in the fact he's getting the double digits um, it's just a, whether he can nail his three-point shot and whether he can get some easy buckets going to the line because you know, uh, if you can get some easy buckets going to the line, draw some contact, you know, those are some bonus points for him because we know he's a great jump shooter. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a, a stat line. What do you think he's got, Nick? All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to give you a real detailed one, Jack. 11 points, 4-9 from the field, three two-pointers, one out three, two free throws. I'm going to give him three assists, two rebounds, two turnovers, one steal. Damn. Those, those two turnovers I like as well, not too many. Yeah, it's. I, I think I'll have him because obviously being rusty and he kind of does throw risky passes here and there. But you know, hopefully I'm spot on. Maybe I can get like some lotto tickets or something. Yeah, you should do that. I think they do like a <laughs> on the the beat of Brooklyn or one of the the Brooklyn fan pages where you like guess the stat line of of a player or the team and you win like some merch or or something like that. I think you should get on it, mate. I reckon. Yeah. You know, you're always you're a very savvy fellow when it comes to these things. So, I mean, the most important thing, though, Jack, is it comes in a W because Definitely. we need one right now. All these close losses, and actually one more question before we get out of here. If we had D'Angelo for the whole month of January, how many wins would the Nets have? Well, I'll, actually, certainly... I'll ask you this. How, would the, how many of these games would the Nets have won against the Celtics, Raptors, and Spurs? Out of those three games, how many do they win if they have D'Lo? I reckon one, at least. Um, I think... The talent of those three teams, they are the best Eastern Conference teams, some of the best teams in the NBA right now. Um, I think we get at least one of them, um, maybe two. Um, It's tough to say whether you get the third because, you know, there's times where, you know, he might take shots from Spencer Dinwiddie and, you know, when Spencer Dinwiddie's having one of his hot nights, it's hard to say. So I think there's certainly, we get one or two of them. Um, But, you know, if we had D'Lo, it's tough to say because his talent level is so high. Yeah, I think we definitely beat the Raptors in overtime because I just think we needed a score in that game so bad, especially in overtime. We just had no juice. And then the Spurs and the Boston game are still a toss-up. In my mind, you know, Boston game was still really close with the foul calls. But like you said, D'Angelo's taking shots away from maybe LaVert or Dinwiddie. Also, his defense isn't at the same level as those two. So it kind of bounces out, but we definitely need that shot maker, that creator, somebody who can just break up these runs. And that's been an issue even again that Spurs game. I think the Spurs at some point were on a 17-4 run between the first and second quarter. Like, the Nets just need to do a better job of breaking up these runs, and that's something D'Lo can do, and maybe it's something Okafor can do, and that's, that's for another pod. But, Jack, 
Great pod as always. Thank everybody for listening. You can always check out the Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, and OTGBasketball.com. It's time, baby. Dealer's back. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.